Well, the Washington, D.C. think tank is urging the United States to get out of Ukraine. They're saying that getting a protracted war is going to turn the country into Ukrainistan. We're going to get into that and so much more. But first, I want to make sure that you are signed up for the POSO Daily Brief. Just go to humanevents.com slash POSO and you will be able, completely for free, to read what I read every day. That's the POSO Daily Brief, humanevents.com slash POSO. Let's get into it. Biden's weakness, cowardice, and incompetence, there is still a path for him to end this tragedy in Ukraine without getting America ensnared in a gruesome and very bloody war, a bloody war. This could lead, by the way, this could lead to World War III. I see what's happening. Because if you think Putin's going to stop, it's going to get worse and worse. He's not going to accept it. And we don't have anybody to talk to him. You had somebody to talk to him with me. Nobody was ever tougher on Russia than me. I'm the one that stopped the pipeline. I had it stopped. I'm the one that put all the sanctions on. And I'm the one that he didn't attack during our administration. Everyone's asking about that now, even the radical left reporters up there. The U.S. must make clear to Putin that he has two choices, to negotiate peace right now or else face blistering consequences, including a push to permanently eliminate dependence on Russian energy. And we're talking about forever or for a long, long time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is January 27th, 2023, Anno Domini. I am your host, Jack Posobiec. So a fascinating new report is out from the Rand Corporation. And believe it or not, this Corporation, the neoliberal think tank, the Rand Corporation. Henry Kissinger comes from there. Condoleezza Rice associated with the Rand Corporation. Huge place. Uh, indelibly tied to Washington, D.C.'s foreign policy, particularly our military policy around the world. This new report is urging Washington, D.C. to get the heck out of Dodge in Ukraine as, quote, U.S. interests would best be served by avoiding a protracted conflict and, quote, costs and risks of a long war outweigh the potential benefits, outweigh the potential benefits. All, I, I'm just going to read this to you, although I, this is crazy, by the way, it's crazy because the Rand Corp, you got to understand, for years has been pushing for escalation with Russia, this idea that, oh, it's, it's in the United States' interest to, by the way, this is how a DC get, uh, understands things, right? They, they're believers, it's, it's like this video game thinking of the world is this grand chess match and uh, it's all a zero-sum game and for every time Russia loses, America wins. They never quite explain how. They never quite explain how it, these things benefit American citizens, American children, American families, moms and dads, you people at home, myself, all of us, really. They, they, they never explain any of it. They say, if we decrease Russia's influence in the Donbass, it will achieve strategic goals for American foreign interests. O okay. How, how, does, how does that help? put food on my table? How does that help to make my gas less expensive? Because that's going up again, by the way, in case you guys hadn't noticed. See, it's, it's sort of been out of the headlines. 
But the price of gas is going up and up and up, and it's ticking back up ever so slightly. And what's amazing, though, to me, because if you go into Washington, D.C., or if you turn on right now almost any of the cable networks, they'll tell you specifically that it's on. The United States is going to war with them Ruskies, and we're going to take them down for America. And that's what America needs to do. We're sending tanks. We're sending bombs. We're sending missiles. We're sending troops. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. We're not sending troops, at least not publicly. We're sending contractors, just contractors, not troops. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted now. Don't get it twisted. Just contractors. So to understand the difference here, what we're clearly seeing is mission creep. And so when you see a place like Rand Corporation come out and basically say, don't do this, you realize that even some in Washington, D.C., it's like somewhere deep down in the bowels of memory, the bowels of the mind of the swamp, they remember the Cold War somewhere. They do. And they remember that a lot of these things don't work if you are in direct military conflict with a nuclear power. So look at this. The authors identify key impediments to Russia-Ukraine talks, such as mutual optimism about the future of the war and mutual pessimism about the implications of peace. The perspectives highlight four policy interests the United States could use to mitigate this, clarifying plans for future support for Ukraine, making commitments to Ukraine security, issuing assurances regarding the country's neutrality, neutrality for Ukraine, and setting conditions for sanctions relief for Russia as a, as a, as a potential carrot here. So isn't that what all of us have been saying from the start on the right, that rather than escalate this thing and sending more tanks and more tanks and more bombs and everything else, you know, like we're in a bad cranberry song, that instead we actually sue for peace. This is something President Trump said yesterday, and now we have this report out. You know why? Because a protracted war with the Russians turns the world into pico de gallo. And even if we don't get into a direct conflict, because after all, I mean, NATO going to war with Russia in winter, what could go wrong? Unfortunately, for the country of Ukraine, a lot could go wrong. And we don't need to imagine what could happen because we can see it. We can see Afghanistan after 20 years of military adventures, 20 years of troops, of funding, of spending. Countries in shambles. Taliban went right back into power. How many people died? How many people were displaced? Are they trying to turn Ukraine into Ukrainistan. The defense contractors would love that because guess what? General Dynamics gets to backfill all of those tanks that just got sent over from Canada, from the United States, from all across Europe. They're even trying to get this uh, South America and Central America in. They've even offered them to the Cubans and the Venezuelans because why not? A sale is a sale. And just like We saw from the James O'Keefe videos this week in Project Veritas, Pfizer looks at illness and healthcare and sickness as a business opportunity. Well, let me tell you something. 
as President Eisenhower and so many others have said before, war is a racket, the biggest racket on earth. And the problem is, what's the price for peace? Nobody's selling it. There's no money to be had in peace. Nobody's making money off of that. And that's why we do need somebody, though, more importantly, who understands that the way we make money is through prosperity, through exploration, exploring space. But no, no, they just want invasion after invasion instead. Uh, I want to read a few quotes about Twitter's practices, and I just want you to tell me if they're true or not. Uh, social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. I don't know what Twitter is up to. It sure looks like to me that they're censoring people and they ought to stop it. Uh, are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. Bad. Is that true? No. So that was Jack Dorsey all the way back in 2018 testifying before the U.S. Congress. Now, believe it or not, I was in attendance for that testimony. I was there with Mr. Alex Jones almost five years ago now on that day when Jack Dorsey, now look, did he lie to Congress? Obviously. He just, he just obviously lied to Congress. There's, there's no real question about that. Um, is he going to be charged for it ever? Probably not. But of course, we understand that that's how the world works now. We don't have one set of laws. We have two sets of laws. We have one set of laws for the people in power and the one set of laws for everybody else. But fast forward to today, Elon Musk has purchased Twitter. He's taken it private again. And believe it or not, Elon Musk took the great Dave Rubin, host of the Dave Rubin show, out to San Francisco. And he was allowed to go out. And here's what he found. Because he had been tweeting about this. In fact, I was tweeting about this recently and Elon responded to me about how engagement seemed really down on Twitter. Like something was amiss, something was wrong. And look, so people ask me about Twitter all the time and you know, I, I don't like to get into it too much because sometimes it can sound like it's complaining, but it's, here's the deal, right? That you can always tell when the brakes are on and when you can tell, you can tell when the brakes are off. And Twitter prior to Elon buying it, would go through periods where the brakes were on and the brakes were off. And you just knew. You just knew the sort of tweet that would take off and get thousands and thousands of retweets and the sort of tweet that would just, you know, kind of be funny or, you know, maybe get a couple of retweets here and there, but that was it. But then all of a sudden, none of the tweets would be taking off. And there's a reason for that, because the tweets that you're posting are not being sent to the people that have asked to follow you. And that's the point of any social media. The people who follow it, decide who they want to follow, would like to see content from those people, those outlets. So if you're following Human Events Daily, subscribing to the podcast, you would want the podcast to be downloaded every time that we drop a new episode of Human Events Daily. Yet what if all of a sudden it wasn't doing that? What if you didn't get the notification? What if it didn't download to your phone or whatever platform you're using? Well, there'd be a problem with that. And that's exactly how Twitter was set up. So here's what Rubin has found out. That it is a flaming dumpster, as Elon Musk put it. And there's actually an argument going on now, internally at Twitter, to say, can we fix the code? 
or do we need to burn the entire thing down and start from scratch? Here's what he found. Dave Rubin said that it's almost like a fractal Rube Goldberg machine. It's sort of like a delicate balance likened to a Jenga tower. And as they fix the code, more problems arise. One wrong move and the whole thing collapses. They're working nonstop and both times that they met, they were after midnight. So they met with several engineers who were doing deep dives on why his account and so many others seem to be absolutely crushed after that two or three week return to normalcy when Elon first took over. They still have much more questions than answers, but they did learn a lot of stuff. Now, What's interesting is that Dave found that they are layers upon layers of shadow bands and labels that get put onto you when you are on Twitter. What does this mean? This means that when the Wokies at Twitter, and, and believe, believe me, there's obviously still some sleepers that are still there, even beyond Elon buying the thing, that what they were doing was that every time they came up with a new label every time they came up with a new misinfo on COVID, misinfo on elections, misinfo on, I don't know, homicide rates by race, whatever it is, whatever it is, they were adding it on top of the other layers. And so you can't just roll the entire thing. I actually asked Dave this. I said, can you roll the entire thing back? He said, no, because it's all structured together. And so that when one piece is pulled out, then the other pieces fall into different places. And you make one wrong move, then other things happen. And so the argument, of course, that's being had is, do you let it run? Do you continue to try to fix it? Or do you set up a new piece of it? Do you just start from scratch? Hit the old reset button. I'd be in favor of that at this point, honestly. Go ahead and reset it. And if you need to take Twitter off for a week to reset the servers, if you need to take it off for two weeks, go right ahead. Don't care. Uh, there's another possible option. You could You could set up a clone of Twitter in an air-gapped computer or an air-gapped server, so something that's not connected to anything. Let it run in a virtual space for a while, load some accounts to it, mess around with it, make sure that that fresh code, go back and find the original code from uh, 2015, 2016, go in there, set up a new version of Twitter, see if it works, and then shut down old Twitter, take, you know, do it on a Sunday night or something. Shut, the, shut the, the current Twitter down, call that old Twitter, and then bring back, you can call it Twitter classic if you want to, call it whatever you want, and then bring us back. But what's amazing to me is that these, these strikes, these key lists, these words, the question of course is, why were they so obsessed with this? Why were they so obsessed with censoring and shadow banning political content after 2016. I, I just can't think of why they would do that. It almost seems like it was the sole focus of the people at the company. They didn't exist to provide you with the type of content you'd like to see. So for example, if you go to other social media networks, not all of them, but some of them, and if I, let's say that I like, I like paintball. I love playing paintball. It's one of my favorite sports. Well, if I interact with paintball content, then the next day when I go back in, I expect to see more of that. I say, see some suggestions. Hey, here's some new paintball markers. Here's a new team. Here's a tournament that's near you that's going on. If you have your location set up, isn't that what you'd want from your social media services? But instead, that's not what Twitter's doing. Twitter was front loading anything that didn't agree with your political beliefs or didn't agree with the server's political beliefs. It's kind of like ChatGPT. You go into ChatGPT, you ask it anything political, 
By the way, so it says, if you go and ask ChatGPT, uh, what do you think of Jack Posobiec? They'll say, he's a controversial guy who's done a lot of things that I don't agree with. Then you ask if, then you ask ChatGPT, what do you think of Joy Reid and Rachel Maddow? It says, Joy Reid and Rachel Maddow are highly respected journalists that work hard to get their truthful information out to their audience. Say, okay, cool. Appreciate that. So yeah, ChatGPT, it's just going to be another Google. It's just going to be another Wikipedia. You are not going to get truth from that because as they always say in computer programming, garbage in, garbage out. That is why we need free and open and honest Twitter, Getter, Truth, Telegram, all of it. Two things. One is we enjoy a very strategic relationship with China and we enjoy that same strategic relationship with other nations, including the US, uh, and we wanted to develop that with Europe and other countries who are willing and, and able to work with us mm -hmm. to advance the, you know, the public good in the world. Yes. Uh, I think with regard to China, they are the largest trading partner with Saudi Arabia. I think there are no issues with discussing how we settle our, our uh, trade arrangements, whether it is the US dollar, whether it is the euro, whether it is the Saudi real or their currency. There was no discussion on that at all. I don't think we are waving away or rolling out any discussion that will help improve the trade around the world. The United States is currently the world reserve currency. One of the key pillars of that status, the reason the U.S. dollar is used all over the world, is our status as the petrodollar. What does that mean? That means when petroleum is traded on the international market, it's done so in U.S. currency, greenbacks, U.S. dollars, the almighty dollar. Now, to be sure, the United States has stood to gain tremendously and has gained tremendously from the war in Ukraine in terms of the petrodollar status. Why do I say this? Because Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1 are lying at the bottom of the Baltic Sea. That was Russia's connection, the umbilical cord that they had built to Europe through Germany. Someone blew it up. I don't know who, but it's gone now. But Europe still needs energy. Someone has got to do it. And thanks to Greta, thanks to so many others, of course, they don't have the ability to be energy sufficient themselves. They have no coal plants. Nuclear is basically shut down except for in uh, France and a couple other spots. So what do you do? Well, the United States have been more than happy to backfill them. And currently, the U.S. liquid natural gas, uh, LNG, has been skyrocketing to replace Nord Stream 1 and 2. Just want you to understand. Cherchez le petrole. Try to understand world politics. Cherchez le petrole. The French used to have the saying, cherchez la femme, search for the woman, right? Whenever you're dealing with a murder situation or, you know, homicide mystery, you know, cherchez la femme. Search for the woman. Well, I say, cherchez la petrol. Look for the gas. But here's the other issue. The United States isn't the only one in this because the United States largely abrogated its position as the world's leading, what we could have had, what we certainly had under President Trump, as the world's leading energy provider. And this is something that the, 
the folks that argue for the gold standard to come back, I think they always kind of miss this point because the US dollar, I'm not saying I'm against that, by the way, just listen where I'm going. The US dollar isn't just floated by fiat. The US dollar is propped up by the fact that it's the world reserve currency and the petrodollar. Well, there's a new article and a new analysis out of alt market that I wanted to respond to here. The decline of a currency's world reserve status is often a long process rife with denials. There are numerous economic experts out there that have been dismissing any and all warnings of dollar collapse for years. They just don't get it or they don't want it. The idea that the U.S. currency could ever be dethroned as the de facto global trade mechanism is impossible in their minds. And, of course, we have the United States Navy defending the seas, defending the strategic choke points. We talk about that a lot here on the show, strategic choke points. The Taiwan Strait, the Strait of Malacca, Strait of Babel Mandeb at the other end of the Red Sea. Strait of Hormuz going into the Persian Gulf, pretty much the only way in and out from a maritime perspective. The Panama Canal, the Gulf of Suez, et cetera, et cetera. Terra del Fuego, where the Chinese are building a naval base. So understand, strategic choke points, control the choke points, control the world. We can also talk about the Northern Passage. That's coming. One of the key pillars keeping the dollar in place is the world reserve status as its petrodollar. And this faction is often held up as the reasons why the greenback cannot fail. But what happens if places like Saudi Arabia and Russia and Iran, obviously, is already doing this, China and others stop trade, India, stop trading in the U.S. dollar? Do you remember those stories out of Weimar, Germany, about people who would ask for a half day's wages and then run out to go buy what? Oh, that's right milk and eggs because they knew the price of milk and eggs would have gone up so much by the end of the day that they wouldn't be able to afford it. So they'd ask for a half day's wages and they'd run out and get it. Those stories of people using Kaiser dollars as wallpaper in Weimar, Germany. Understand, if we lose our world reserve status, as the world reserve currency. That's going to be us. All that money in your bank account, poof, poof. All your savings, stock market's going to, going to absolutely crash if this happens. The amount of pain that the average American family goes through or would go through would be immense. Now, this isn't an advertiser-backed or sponsored uh, segment that we're doing. I'm not going to say, you know, and that's why you have to go to my partners at blah, 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 gold. Look, just calling it like it is. The world is moving and shifting from a place where the United States maintained global supremacy to a new place called multipolarity. The United States is still going to be a key player. And the United States and Europe's relationship is still stronger than ever, possibly even more so. But the rise of China and the resurgence of Russia, the rise of the BRICS nations, the rise of China's One Belt, One Road, all offer substantive alternatives to the U.S.-backed system. And that means, boys and girls, that the benefits and privileges of being the world's last remaining superpower are going to go away and they're going to go away fast. So you're going to see prices skyrocket. 
and you're going to see, oh, wait a minute, we already are seeing the price of gas go up, the price of eggs go up, the price of milk go up, our staple products. And you should, by the way, a friend of mine said that uh, they were listening to a show the other day and they heard slonking and they said, what was that slonking thing that Poso is talking about? Yeah, that's, that's that when you do raw eggs. All of this is going to go up. It's going to be harder for us to pay things. And when we look at the debt ceiling, when we look at the financing of our U.S. government, we're going to realize that we can't be an open borders country with unfunded entitlements for the entire world. We are going to have to embrace some hard questions. This is what's coming, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.